0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Uh, Very unprofessional way to start, Kieran, by me chuckling. It's just... (laughs) We're recording this on a new platform now, and it, it counts us down in profit, so both Kieran and I have to do the Thunderbirds voice. <laughs> Five. Anything that's happened in the next half hour. Was that Thunderbirds? <laughs> it could be Stingray. I don't know. It won't be half hour, Kieran. It'll be a bit longer, because there's quite a lot of news today. Uh, and the news is, first of all, it's nine o'clock in the morning. How do you how do you do it, Kieran? Were, were you like me? Did you have to stay up all night to make sure you were, you were up at this time in the morning? What?
1: I was up anyway because I was on Radio 5 at quarter to 6 in the morning. Why? Well, because they asked me to and I'm too polite to take turn anybody down.
0: What, what were you talking to Radio 5 about? Yeah. about Everton. Oh, okay. Which well, leads us into It, it well, 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 I'll do that. If anyway, I'll do that which leads us into stuff. Thank you very much. You you won't you will not find me Still, you are. I would start talking about amortisation. <laughs> well, so obviously, I wouldn't know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, I was slightly miffed yesterday. Kieran, we had a meeting with uh, Julian Chenery, a regular listener, a uh, long time listener, who's who's producing our live shows for us. Who challenged me to define what amortisation was, and I was even more miffed to, to find I still couldn't fully explain it. If only there was some sort of book that explained it for idiots coming out Kieran. Out, yes, Everton. Um, as the tabloids will undoubtedly say, Everton could be in seventh heaven shortly, Kieran.
1: Yes, but the word could is still doing quite a lot of heavy lifting. The reason for this is that there's a company called 777 Partners and... We mentioned them on the show on Monday with regards to Melbourne Victory, in which they've lent the club money and potentially they could end up taking over the club. Now, it looks as if, if the reports are correct, that 777 could become the majority owners at at Everton and acquire the club from Farhad Mashiri. Now, I think it's fair to say that Farhad Mashiri has put a lot of money into the club, by my reckoning, around about three quarters of a billion pounds, and hasn't got a lot to show for it. Um, so how could this deal go ahead? Well, first of all, the two parties have to come to some form of agreement. There was another company called MSP who were interested in buying a minority stake in Everton. But that deal fell through. And now 777, who are based in Miami, they've only been around since about 2015, but they already own stakes in around about seven clubs. They are looking to buy out for But then you've got the issue of the Premier League's owners and directors death. And there's two elements to that. First of all, you look at the background of the owners. And one of the owners has been arrested and uh, found guilty in respect of cocaine trafficking. Now, he said, we all do silly things when we were younger. Um, And it depends how much the trafficking was. And I'm not condoning. And also, rehabilitation of offenders, what we've done 20 years ago, doesn't necessarily form the character of somebody today. But that's up for the Premier League to reach some form of conclusion. The other issue is, with no disrespect to the other clubs in the portfolio of 777, this is Everton. It's a far bigger club. You've got the new stadium, the funding of that. So the Premier League will be looking at, A, can they show that they've got enough money? And B, and I think this is the issue which is causing a few comments, where's that money ultimately coming from? And there's been a few articles, there's some Everton fans who are very forensic, you know, they're going, Well, we we've got a few red flags. There's also been rumours about Everton potentially going into administration. I don't think that's likely. They have received working capital funding. So it's really a case of now where does Mashiri want to go? Does he have enough money? He's put in huge amounts, but his circumstances, his relationships may have changed over the course of the last couple of years, and, and that may affect his ability to continue to put money in. Yeah,
0: the, the fit and proper person's test, the owner's and director's test, whatever you want to put, that's relatively easy to get round because all you have to do is is take that one person's name off the list of 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 bidders so he would still be involved but you just choose two three other people from seven seven partners and put their name on the bid essentially that's that that can sort of bypass that the the more worrying thing is that we we have spoken about seven seven partners several times in the past on the pod and it's never in particularly glowing terms so the even the on on monday when we talked about their potential takeover at melbourne victory that was Sort of contingent on Melbourne victory not being able to pay back the huge loan from Seven 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 Partners, but what I'm interested here, and you did touch on it, is um, so if they were to take over, they would the stadium's not complete or the funding's not complete for the stadium. The stadium, because I assumed initially that this would be a good time to buy Everton, not necessarily on the pitch, but they'd be buying a club with a brand new stadium, relatively new training ground but are you saying that they would have to invest a lot of that money or would they spend a lot of money taking over Everton and then take over the funding of the stadium if the deal goes through
1: quickly then yes yeah because all of the assets and all of the financial responsibilities will transfer across from Machiri to 777 and that will include the ongoing commitments with regards
0: to the stadium Now, the next story, Kieran, um, it's about Manchester United, and it's good news for those fans of Manchester United who hate the Glazers. Well, yes. It's a Daily Mail
1: story. Now, I'm not going to say take it with a large pinch of salt because I think it's fairly well known that I write for the Daily Mail, so it would be a bit hypocritical of me. Um, They say that Manchester United, for the first time, will have total debts of over £1 billion. And that will consist of the loans, the overdraft and the transfer fee debt. Now, it's just a number. It's exactly the same as 999999999
0: just adding one more pound. So I think it's symbolic. It is Kieran but it's that 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 number's much harder to fit on the the front page to be perfectly honest.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: It is indicative
1: that under the Glazer family Manchester United have spent money in the transfer market. They have spent money on banks because the banks have earned over 900 million pounds in interest since the Glazers acquired the club in 2005. Um, I think you could argue that having spent all of that money and incurred that level of debt, that you'd expect a return on that investment. Now, as far as the Glazers are concerned, the financial return on the investment has been good. The return on the pitch, less so. So for those Manchester United fans who are unhappy with the Glazers' ownership, then I think this is, once again, it's a further symbol of something through which you can be critical of the owners. Other clubs have borrowed money, but they've had something to show for it. If we look at Spurs, you know, Spurs have got a fantastic new stadium. Um, Everton are going to have a fantastic new stadium, so they will have borrowed money as well. Old Trafford, and we've said this on many occasions. Unless you're in hospitality,
0: it's a pretty mediocre place to watch football from. Um, I know, as as you say, Kieran, you occasionally. Um, I'm not going to say write for the Daily Mail, Kieran. Let's say assist those people who do write for the Daily Mail. We're, every relationship, Kieran, has has little things that the other person does that, you know, it's. You're a Brighton fan, so there's not there's nothing else beyond that that's going to upset me, Kieran. But let's just clarify and make sure that this this story in the Daily Mail didn't come from you. Because if it if it did, I'll I'll believe it. But this is not your story. This is this is some other chancer uh, in the Daily Mail bunging some figures together. And well done, that's good shaking work from Finley in the background there.
1: Busy yeah. shaking his head, denying that I'm the person <laughs> to put that, story put made. that set figures together.
0: The Daily Mail, Daddy, you never mentioned that before. Yes, it's not from me,
1: but Manchester United's accounts are due out shortly.
0: Right, OK. good. I thought you had an air of excitement about you. (laughs) There's
1: always some air of excitement about
0: me. Well, let's crack on with the rest of the pod, Kieran, Okay, So I wouldn't want them coming out while we're we're halfway through the broadcast. This next story, Kieran, is one that people have been clamouring for uh, for quite some time. And it relates to the timescale in which the Premier League investigate financial discipline cases. Yes,
1: we have seen investigations in respect of Manchester City. We know that Everton are up on charges with regards to financial fair play breaches and clubs have been relegated. Clubs, Other clubs have suffered. Now, habeas corpus, innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, that's really important. But... The Premier League has now said that clubs have to submit their accounts quicker, and the aim will be to fast track uh, investigations as far as financial fair play is concerned going forwards, with the aim of reaching a conclusion before the end of the season. So, as from this year, 23 24, football clubs in the Premier League have to submit their accounts by the 31st of December. Now, previously, they had until the nine months after their year and effectively the 31st of March. Um, Therefore, that gives the Premier League to say, well, we've got some clubs who are already on our watch list because we know because financial fair play is assessed over three years that some clubs will be closer to it than the other. So when those clubs submit, those clubs will be the ones which are investigated first. That will allow the Premier League to reach a conclusion and potentially apply sanctions within that season. So I think that's got to be welcomed. It could, of course, result in an awful lot of work for accountants and lawyers. If there are sanctions in the forms of points deductions, could that happen and then there'll be an appeal and that causes issues. You know, we go into the end of the season with a club with potentially having had a you know, a five or a ten point deduction, which, which is subject to appeal and could be reversed. So it could get very messy. But I think the general principles are something which is positive.
0: Uh, well, most fans, Kieran, and I think all fans of clubs that have been relegated from the Premier League in the past three or four seasons, would argue that it makes no sense that any sanction, uh, transfer embargo points deduction doesn't come in the season in which the offence was committed, in other words. And I, I just wonder whether those lawyers that you mentioned, there might be a case for some of those relegated clubs to, to look back and say, well, hang on a second, you, you need to retrospectively do this because we were relegated in an unfair fight because this club was clearly at the time Uh, buying players they shouldn't have been allowed to buy, which helped keep them up. And we were staying within the rules and we went down. Well, we do have the precedent
1: of Carlos Tevez in 2005. And that resulted in an out-of-court settlement, um, estimated to be in the region of £20 million, from West Ham to Sheffield United. Now, football revenues have multiplied significantly since then. So I think there will be some interested observers should a decision be made with regard to some of these ongoing issues which have been delayed over the end of the season.
0: On to some clubs, Kieran. <laughs> and they're going to know who they are as soon as I say this, that we have spoken about far too often um, recently. Um, <clears throat> I'm a Crystal Palace fan, Kieran. We all know that. I love my club. You love your club uh, for reasons known only to you. But I think both of us are happy this week not to be Scunthorpe United fans because, looking at social media <clears throat> from the outside, it's it's not been a pleasant week. Um, players c- claiming that whatever the, the press are being told that some of them haven't been paid. But the big news comes mainly from the owner of Scunthorpe United and a, a, a big admission. Yes, at the
1: start of the week there was a report in the Athletic. Um, And it's been put together by Matt Slater, who we've had on the show. Matt is a brilliant journalist, very forensic. He's a proper investigative journalist, along with Phil Buckingham. And this is to do with the background of the owner, David Hilton. Now, the basis of the report is that David Hilton has had a series of different names, He has spent time in prison in respect of fraud, um, on which he's been found guilty of a series of charges. Subsequent to that, um, David Hilton recorded an interview which went out and he did admit that there were issues in his past over which he's not proud. He says it was a... Sixty-five thousand pound fraud. Um He then said he was an ex-accountant. Uh, he, he trained to be an accountant and quit to become an electrician because he didn't enjoy being an accountant. I think he said he had too much of a personality and, and therefore wasn't qualified to go down that particular route. Um,
0: uh, <laughs> uh, um, sorry, I, I was I was mid-swallow of my tea there, Kieran. just the the, the disapproving tone in which you said that. (laughs) made me laugh. I'm sorry. (laughs) How dare he? Absolutely outrageous.
1: I know quite a bit about this. Um, I think it's also fair to say that the athletic article is the article which the lawyers allowed them to publish. And in my view... I would describe the article as absolutely correct. I'd also describe it as a brownberg, which is the equivalent of an iceberg, except the shitty bit is the 10% that they've allowed to show and the 90% below the service isn't particularly nice. Now, I also believe firmly in the rehabilitation of offenders, and this is... Proven to be a dispute between David Hilton and the Athletic. They, Matt Slater and Phil Buckingham are firmly of the view that this is in the public interest. David Hilton says it's not. We've then had, as you, as you rightly mentioned, players coming onto social media and saying, well, my pension payments have not been paid. We've been contacted anonymously with regards to other players who have not gone on social media, and that does not reflect well on the club. We've also been contacted by executives at other clubs, again, with information with regards to Scunthorpe, which doesn't necessarily reflect particularly well. So the interview with David Hilton has now been taken down. Uh, he's got an ongoing dispute with Peter Swan, the previous owner. So Scunthorpe United don't own the stadium. Peter Swan still does. There's an ongoing rent issue. There is a lack of transparency here. And you know, I'm firmly of the belief, you know, this, this this is not a vendetta against David Hilton. I, I think he needs to be completely transparent. And I think what we're getting is half the story On half a subject, and then he moves on to something else. And if you want to come across, and there's no reason why he, you know, he's, 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 what he's done, he's done, but that was some time ago, then he will be under additional scrutiny, rightly or wrongly, because that's the nature of having a previous criminal offence.
0: Yeah. Again, it's the fans, isn't it? It it just all adds to the existential crisis that Scumthorpe fans are going through. And also it strikes me, in that lovely romantic scene in the film Titanic where the young lovers are at the front of the ship, whooping in the fresh air, would be slightly less romantic if it was a brown berg they were heading for, rather than, I mean, it's bad enough in an iceberg, Kieran, but imagine splashing, <laughs> it's an iceberg made, of, it's, it's almost like South Park made that up, it's an iceberg made of shit. We go. <laughs> I almost said favorite, Kieran, but it's not. It's it's most talked about to Southend United. Um, it's the nature of the dilemma at Southend that this first bit of news about their parent company. I, I, I don't understand the actual words used, but it looks to me like they might indicate some good news. Um, this is Ron
1: Martin's world, and we just happen to be living in it. Is, is the way I would see this. So Ron Martin owns a company called Southeastern Leisure, which in turn owns uh, the Roots Hall Limited and Southend United. Now, Southeastern Leisure was given a winding up order for non-submission of accounts and non-submission of documentation. And what Ron Martin does is he takes things to the brink time and time again and people think, well, could this be a genuine winding up of the company? And potentially that could be beneficial. Potentially it could not as far as the club is concerned. But then at the last minute, he finds the relevant documentation. And that's what he's done here. So the winding up order has been reversed. In addition, and I think this is the good news, is that Southend Council have said, well, Ron, we don't want to run the football club because that ain't our job. But, yeah, we've recently achieved city status. We would like to have a football club in Southend. Can we reach a deal with regards to the stadium? So it looks as if Ron Martin is looking for four and a half million pounds for the stadium. The other issue, he's had this plan from day one of owning the club, you know, 20 years or so, that he wants to have a housing development and make some money off the back of that. Now, there is an alternative site where he was hoping to move the football club to, a place called Fawcett's Farm. I think there could be some complications there in terms of Greenbelt and so on. But if the council buy the stadium and are perhaps a bit more favourable towards a housing development, then we could see a deal going through. But at the same time, Ron Martin says, I'll sell the football club for a pound. I reckon it's losing around £2 million a year. So from his point of view, he's saving himself £2 million if he sells the football club. Finding someone with those resources
0: in these times is never going to be easy. Things will be even more complicated, Kieran. If Fawcett's farm is still an actual farm, that's going to get that's going to get comical. That's going to get Jeremy Clarkson style sitcom treatment. Um, my heart sank when you mentioned selling the club for a pound because how many stories have we told that start with? You know, as Humphrey Bogart says how many stories start with Mister? Can I pop up and see you sometime? And selling the club for a pound is not a good this. So the idea of South so Southfield Council not actually investing for they want to buy the they want to buy the ground regardless of who owns the football club. So potential owners of the football club would have to be aware that South End Council are very keen to own the ground. Would that would that help or hinder a potential sale? I think it would
1: help, because it's four and a half million pounds that a prospective owner doesn't have to find because at present, you've got these two companies. You've got Roots Hall Limited and you've got South End United Football Club. If Roots Hall Limited sends the football stadium to the council, then you're just buying the football club and you become a tenant. Now, there's no reason why you can't have a good relationship between the council and the football club. They
0: both benefit. Well, they do. But the only reason is we. We're, what worries me there again, and I hate to put thoughts in the mind of Southend United fans is that we've seen several stories this week of of councils that are basically potless, Mm. skint. And it it strikes me that if a council like Southend has got a lovely stadium, that might be the first thing they offload if suddenly they're skint as well. That's a potential risk.
1: They do say that they have reserves because there was another project which doesn't appear to be going ahead. At the same time, there are plenty of opponents of football, they always say, Well, hold on, you're closing down libraries. We've got potholes left, right, and centre. There's a lack of social care. These are all things which perhaps any additional money should be prioritised towards, as opposed to a football club. But it does appear to have cross party support as far as buying the ground is concerned. So that's got to be
0: welcomed. Um, and just finally on the South End story, Kim, so you say Southeast Leisure Limited, Ron Martin's company this compulsory strike-off notice has been discontinued. So does that imply then that he has now um, submitted accounts or filed accounts? Yeah, he will have done the bare minimum. Right, Okay. Right, so it's not like you'll suddenly have more information to play with about what he's doing with his money then? No,
1: no. Southend haven't submitted accounts since 2021 and how he gets away with that, I'm not quite certain. The conspiracy theorist in me thinks that Companies House are aware that HMRC have a dispute with Ron Martin with regards to the football club. So they say, well, you sort that one out first and then if you haven't submitted the accounts, we'll come in next.
0: We can't mention Blackburn Rovers, Kieran. It seems without, <laughs> um, well, I can't, certainly, without, without adding, blimey, well, mean, the Venkis are still in charge. Who would have thought that after all these years? But they are, and they've issued a statement this week on their financial situation.
1: Yes, and the problem I have with the Venkies is that every time I hear their name, the theme tune to the
0: Monkey song comes into my head. <laughs> hey, hey, with the Venkies. That's right. Have, Why well, haven't they thought of that before? Why aren't Blackburn Rovers coming on to that every week? Hey, hey, with the Venkies. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So, yes... There's been a statement from the club,
1: and the reason for this is that back in India, where the Venkis are based um the government authorities have seized nine properties with regards to an ongoing tax dispute. There's a company called Venkis Overseas, which I think was set up in India, and the the Indian government is a little bit cautious about the amount of money that people invest overseas and how that's invested. They were okay with the football club, but this appears related to a piece of property that the Venkis acquired not far from Blackburn. And this was just after they they, they acquired the club itself. And they spent £7.3 million on this property, and it was Gary Neville's house which seems a bit bizarre, but they wanted somewhere, when they were flying over from India, they wanted a base close to the ground, which was of sufficient standard. Um, and it can't get better than Barry Gary Neville's house, by, by all accounts. But the, the, the Indian authorities saying, well, hold on. This isn't a business investment. Yeah, this is retail. And they've been at loggerheads with the Venkies for a while. And now they've seized this, this. So people are putting two and two together saying, do the Venkies have problems? And therefore, could this impact upon Blackburn? Because for all of the criticism leveled at the Venkies, they have been very generous benefactors as far as the club's concerned. And I know people connected at the club and they've said, there's been times where we're going, well, how are we going to pay this bill or that bill? And it's a bit like using the bat phone. You know, they, they, get, on, they get on the call to Venki Central and they say we need this number of thousands or hundreds of thousands. And within 24 hours, money, money's winged across.
0: Gary Neville's house, um, possibly his current one, I don't know, not the one he sold, but is meant to be a, a, a model of environmental sustainability, by all accounts. It's like their house from Teletubbies. It's like the most environmentally sustainable house in the world. The only problem I imagine with buying Gary Neville's house is that you, it would take you at least four weeks to remove the pictures of Gary Neville from yeah. all the walls, I would I would guess, and then turn around the one of Graham Soonest that's been turned to the wall. Um, Newcastle United, Kieran, uh, a big, big share issue, sort of.
1: Yes, Newcastle... United Limited issued one share last week, or we got notice of it, should I say. And that one share was for £60 million, which is you know, a crazy amount of money. It's really good for financial fair play. It gives the club working capital. It allows the club to settle outstanding transfer instalments. So it, it made a lot of sense. But then you start to look at the complicated group structure that we have at Newcastle. So, you've got Newcastle United, which itself owns Newcastle United Football Club, but Newcastle United is owned by a company called PZ Nuco, which also issued £60 million worth of shares, except here, instead of one share for £60 million, it issued £60 million shares for £1 each. And then, when you look at the history of PZ Nuco, that's owned by a company called JV1, which appears to be owned by Amanda Staveley and the Rubin Brothers, and another company called NCUK Limited, or NCUK Investment Limited, which is mainly owned through PIF. So it is very messy. The good news is it's cash for Newcastle United. It's cash that qualifies for financial fair play. And if we go back to one of our early stories with regards to Manchester United, Manchester United have had to use the loan system in the most recent transfer window towards the end of it because the Glazers have not put a penny in and you're allowed to put in up to £90 million in the form of shares. And that does count towards FFP. So this is good for Newcastle. I think it's indicative of a different culture and a different philosophy between the two sets of club owners?
0: Forgive me for asking this, Kieran, but it, you know, we, we've talked many, many times and fans have suggested many, many ways of doing it, of, of getting round FFP or, or working within FFP, if you like. It, it strikes me that just issuing one new share for £60 million is such a simple way of doing it. I can't imagine why every other club in the Premier League doesn't do it because most of them could afford or could find one person to, to invest 60 million quid, I imagine. And that strikes me as a very, a very easy way for a, somebody to get involved in a football club and a very simple way to basically work, with, work around FFP. Quite a few clubs do take that approach,
1: but you do have complications if a club perhaps has three or four owners. And yeah, like Palace... And you might have two of those owners who are keen to put the money in, and you've got two of those owners, for whatever reason, personal circumstances, they're not getting on with the other owners that don't want to go down that route. And at the same time, they don't want to dilute their percentage owning in the club, and you end up in an on-pass.
0: Okay, I okay. you. Kieran, this, this should be, Kieran... Um... A remarkable time for women's football, and in fact, it, it is a remarkable time for women's football. Just come off the back of a hugely successful World Cup, which unfortunately was marred by those <laughs> the, the kiss, the ongoing kiss. But I mean, that's marred the Spain's enjoyment of the fantastic World Cup success, um, the first time. Spain have ever won a World Cup according to Piers Morgan, whose yes. <laughs> short-term memory is obviously going a little bit. But this next story, Kieran, it's, it's just it's really upsetting me that England did remarkably well to get to the final. Well, You could argue that we were disappointed not to win it, which is an indication of how well English women's football is doing. So this, this story is really genuinely upset me, Kieran. This shouldn't be happening off the back of that, that brilliant run in the World Cup. Yes,
1: this is an article, again from the Mail, so p- perhaps there's a little degree of sensationalism in the headlines, um, indicating that the Lionesses may go on strike. But that's the headline. When you read the article, it says, well, they've not, I don't think it's going to be discussed that yet. Before the World Cup took place, um, the, the, the Lionesses put out a statement to say, we are in dispute with the Football Association. This is to do with the level of reward. Now, it's not the fees for the match because they get the same fees as the men. I think it's more to do with bonuses. It's more to do with facilities. The FA will say, yes, we're very proud of your achievements on the pitch. It's fantastic that you're selling out Wembley. We have a responsibility to grow the grassroots of women's football And at the same time, we want to give you some fair reward for being international players. So I I, I spoke to somebody who I can only describe as the secret lioness. We got another one. (laughs) Yes. And I don't think there's a lot of difference. I, I think it's a case of getting people around the table, explaining that as far as i think bonuses are concerned that they are linked to the amount of money generated during a tournament from advertising from commercial deals and the men's team is still generating significantly more than the women there's a case for saying that we can we can give the women a higher percentage of those monies and let's negotiate but clearly there is a there is a gap and as Nick, Nick DeMarco always says, you know, negotiation is better than litigation. And if it's coming from him, that's good enough
0: for me. Yeah. Speaking of the England men's team, Kieran, I I, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that uh, watching the game last night, which I thought was uh, a decent game and a very impressive performance by England. I don't think the Dunk Maguire partnership uh, in the back is necessarily one that we want to explore any further, is it? Yeah, it was a funny one. I mean, I, I was looking at the match, especially when England were 2-0 up,
1: and I was saying, saying to myself, Scotland really needs an impact sub here. <laughs> I hadn't thought it was going to be Harry Maguire.
0: <laughs> Do you know what? I, I didn't mention this to you. We, we we spoke yesterday, and I forgot to mention two separate people asked, asked me last week whether you were related to Harry Maguire. <laughs> you must get that a lot. I cause... get loads of stick I just, I um, just love the idea of people saying to Harry, you know, Jordan Henderson going to Harry Maguire. Are you related to that Kieran Maguire bloke who's been giving me <laughs> what? No, um, the, the producer. We've had a lot of stories in the Daily. It's I'm beginning to worry that producer guy is using the Daily Mail as his sole source of news stories. We need to put a stop to that. And speaking of disputes, Kieran, this is a big one. The Confederation of African Football have fallen out with their biggest broadcaster.
1: Yes. And again, perhaps there's more to this than meets the eye. Um, Bayin Sports, who are the Qatari-based broadcaster, they, by all accounts, have not paid anything to, to the Confederation of Af- African Football since February 2022. There's an unpaid sum of $98 million. And as a result of that, uh, CAF have unilaterally cancelled the deal. Now, Bay in Sports are saying this is all to do with a COVID hangover. The, the, the African Women's Continental Tournament was cancelled due to COVID. I think there was an under-17s competition, again, cancelled. CAF said, well, if we're honest, they're not biggies, and that's no disrespect to, to those tournaments. So we're willing to give you a discount of, say, about $2 million. Bay in sports are saying we ain't happy. You know, we we we've got to pay Richard Keys. So you know, so yeah, you know, we we we're, we're holding back ninety eight million. But a few months ago, we also spoke about Saudi Arabian investment in African football, with regards to the African Super Cup, Qatari and Saudi relations, which appeared to thaw a bit during the World Cup last year. I don't think they're necessarily good, once again. And we've we've also seen, and this is taking place, I think think it's taking place later this week, that the CAF Super Cup between a team in Algeria and a team in in Egypt, um, that's going to be taking place in TAFE in Saudi Arabia. So could that cause an issue? Because Qatar aren't very happy about that. Is this a way of Saudi showing? Look, we've got a very close relationship, and again, geopolitics in the Middle East—probably for another podcast.
0: But it's a, it's a it's it's a long and deep and bitter subject. <clears throat> right. So, do you, do you think this is likely to have uh, any effect on the any potential African Super League or African Super Cup? Or will it be easy enough for them to find a different new broadcaster? There's always somebody willing to pay, how much they're
1: willing to pay, because the Bay deal was an 11-year deal. I think it went from 2017 to 2028. If it's been cancelled unilaterally, then there's going to be legal repercussions because Bay In will say, well, we still believe that we've got the rights. If you sell those rights to somebody else, that's breach of contract. I can only see it getting messy.
0: Um, to one of my favourite countries, Kieran, Belgium, and a club I don't think we've actually mentioned before, Union Saint-Gilois, who are having a little local domestic difficulty, Kieran. And Can I be the the one to check whether Union Saint-Gilois is the one that has links with Brighton?
1: That's right. Um, Tony Bloom was the owner. He's now divested his shares because... I don't know whether you're aware of this, but Brighton playing in Europe as our
0: USG. I've got I've, it's written down here somewhere, Kieran. One of my no, no, I can't find it. Somebody, I'm sure it will come up. I'm sure it'll be mentioned. You, you're not
1: allowed to have dual ownership of clubs in UEFA tournaments, so therefore, UEFA said this needs sorting. Um, so Tony Bloom historically has had your know, ownership links with USG. Um, that yeah, players like Mitoma, we re, we recruited with we you know, Brighton recruited from USG, or rather they they signed they signed Mitoma from Japan, loaned him out to USG to get experience, and, and then brought him to the Premier League. So so it, there has been that type of relationship historically. But this is to do with European football politics. So there's an organisation called ECA, European Club Association. That has 245 members, but only a few of them have votes. So this is a bit like Project Big Picture, which sort of came and went two or three years ago, where the Premier League clubs would only have votes if they had been in the Premier League for a certain amount of time. Effectively it would move from the position where we currently have 14 clubs as a day minimus for a rule change to only six. And you can bet your bottom dollar which six clubs happen to be in the the golden children as far as these proposals were concerned. It's similar with the ECA. It, It does appear to operate in the best interest of the bigger clubs as a result of this, and this was a subject we curried a curried a, 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 a subject we we covered a few months ago. An alternative organisation called the Union of European Clubs, and this is going a bit life of Brian, um, was set up as a rival organisation. USG were in the Union of European Clubs, and they were also in the ECA, and you have to renew your membership, and now. The ECA have said, it's one of us or the other. You can't be a member of both. So it looks like they've been kicked out. Their membership's not been renewed. I think UEFA are trying to align themselves with the ECA. The the Union of European Clubs is mainly those clubs which are not qualifying for Europe.
0: Okay, right. So this, at the moment, wouldn't compromise USG's ability to take part in European competition then?
1: that that's correct it's more to do with how is their voice going to be heard and who is going to represent them but it does indicate that the ECA see the union of european clubs as a rival and it's trying to quash that rival by by making it very difficult it's saying you, you can't have a foot in both camps uh, have you booked your hotel in
0: amsterdam yet talking of european trips i've not yet
1: uh, okay. i've been a bit lax <laughs> i've, I've I have been working twenty four seven that 's true,
0: and it 's on my long list okay i 'll help if you want. Um, we have I think we probably have curried some stories in the past i 've certainly curried <laughs> some stories but i 'm not entirely sure what 's going on in the story, I just bung a load of spices at it just hope we can get away with it basically they won 't taste the actual meat bit they 're just being distracted by the heat. Our last two stories, Kieran, uh, take us to uh, my favourite club. If it com- when it comes to comedy purposes, and both these stories have an element of comedy about it, especially the last one. But the first one is um, a Spanish court ruling, Kieran, that the Pope is indeed a Catholic.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: um, Barcelona
1: innocently paid over seven million euro to the person that organises the referees in Spanish football over a period, I think, of 10 years or more. And some people said, well, what exactly are Barcelona getting out of this? And, you know, they might be getting a you know, a free set of flags each year, for all we know. But, but whether that's €7 million Euros worth is, is open to debate. So a regional judge in Spain has said, this smacks of systemic corruption. Although there's no evidence that individual referees have made decisions in favour of Barcelona. But at the same time, yeah, well, if you pay for something, you normally expect to get something in return. So where we're going to go on the back of that is very difficult. Barcelona, have got a lot of financial issues. Um, we've been talking about their economic levers, levers, and it looks as though one of those is struggling at present. They, they'd sold some of their rights for another, for another loan of 20 million, but the lender hasn't got round to paying them. And now the Barcelona president, who had guaranteed the loan, it looks like he's going to have to go and pay for that out of his own pocket so that's our second story. And then the third story, as people are aware, Barcelona aren't playing at the new Camp. It's effectively being demolished and rebuilt. So therefore, there's a bit of it in the middle, which is surplus to requirements. Um, and by all accounts, on Barcelona's website or, or a, a website approved by them, they've been selling off the grass For somewhere between 20 and 400 euros a a slice. And you're not getting a lot for your money, by all accounts, in terms of that number of blades of
0: grass. Uh, Well, first of all, Kieran, let's work backwards. Well done for uh, not mentioning Uncle Terry in a story about selling grass at various prices. (laughs) Uh, What I I didn't understand about this story is, is what makes one bit of grass off the New Camp pitch more expensive. Than another, um, how do they certificate? I mean, is is it you know, the grass around the penalty spot is more expensive than? It, and it strikes me as well, Kieran, that like many people, I've been to. We've talked about Berlin; it's the most wonderful city. And in a terrible cliched way, I bought back a bit of the Berlin Wall for my dad, God rest his soul, because that's what he wanted, and it? It strikes me that must have been the biggest fucking wall in history because it's. There's certainly not short of chunks of it, are they? It strikes me it's going to be the same. At, Barcelona show this, of course of course this was on the count the new camp pitch of course it was this this is the 420 euro one there that's my phone going off in the background it will probably be Ed ordering some ingredients so he can cook in ten minutes time um the, the first story though Kieran, I know we laugh about the idea of systemic corruption at Barcelona and and God knows we all know the nightmare of innocently paying seven million euros for something without realizing it but there is a potential issue there, Kieran, because the, the huge, the story, the huge story in Italian football of a few years ago of corruption that was uncovered um, was based on one or two clubs being seen to pay money to referees' organisations in what was rather refreshingly called in one Italian newspaper a whistleblower uh, scheme, <laughs> which was is, which is, which is great. Uh, and it turned out eventually that um, uh, the, referees, the referees were the ones completely exonerated by it. It turns out that the referees were, their integrity remained absolutely 100 percent, which was good. but it nearly brought down one or two clubs. So there is that slight worry that if a court says Barcelona attempted, even attempted or thought about the idea of trying to gain uh, favors from referees that that's, this could be a massive can of worms being opened here because what will happen is that every other club, possibly apart from Madrid, will start saying, well, actually, this game, this happened, this game, that happened, which adds to the evidence. So, you know, and then a bigger court says they may have gained from systemic corruption. And suddenly, as I say, you're in the middle of a potentially disastrous situation for one of the world's
1: biggest clubs. That's right. And you wonder what the Spanish FA have been doing with regards to this. Because Tebas appears to spend all of his time pointing fingers at PSG, at Manchester City, at Newcastle United and, and other clubs. You know, it's a classic case of get your own house in order first,
0: surely. Well, Spanish FA have had enough on their mind in the past few days without having Barcelona to worry about. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that would be very kind of you. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you go for the, the big option, the £5 ultra option, you also get access to our chat community, um, which is uh, it's you and I, Kieran, isn't it? I say chat community. It's it's pretty much you and I and some other lovely people. And our regular quizzes, which we're hoping to have one soon around the launch of the book. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, then email us at questions at Three dates, three dates, I tell you, have now been confirmed for our Price of Football live show, our little autumn tour in the coming weeks. First one is the Winter Gardens in Blackpool on October the 12th, the Lowry Theatre in Salford on October the 22nd, and the Royal Yacht on Jersey on November the 7th. To get your tickets, go to priceoffootball.com, and we look forward to seeing you all at one of those, hopefully, and we look forward to confirming some new dates for the new year and spring and finally if you'd like to pre-order our new book unfit and improper persons an idiot's guide to owning a football club or one of our other books or get yourself a price of football t-shirt you can find details at our website priceoffootball.com we will be back on monday with our questions pod in the meantime i shall hand you over to mr kieran maguire for his customary farewell and I think you can tell from
1: those venues that both of us failed our geography O level <laughs> in terms of <laughs> logistical planning.
0: Well, Blackpool Blackpool to Salford's all right. We've given ourselves 10 days for that. It's just, <laughs> it's just in that. Yeah, and then so to, to Jersey. I'm looking forward to all. Uh, three. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Blackpool is a town close to your heart, Kieran. I'm yes. Sure, I'm sure yeah. we will have a photo opportunity on the site of French's. The Lowry Theatre <laughs> in Salford is part of an amazing. Complex and I haven't been to Jersey since I was uh, twenty. And if it's anything wow. like the time I had when I was twenty, I'm really looking forward to it. Yes, absolutely. I've now got an apology. Oh, on Monday's show, should, should we get the Baroness in? Is it? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: no, that, that's 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 very serious. That is uh, on, on Monday. I, I mentioned that very few clubs gave opportunities to be in the director's box,
0: mm.
1: but I stand corrected.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um, I've been contacted by somebody who's a Brentford fan, who said that he he paid to have effectively a season ticket oh, okay. in the Brentford box, um, and he found that really enjoyable. Um, I've also been in contacted by uh, Alex Finn, who is a Spurs fan, and. Apparently, you can, you can buy a place in the Spurs box. Uh, Alex is a, a very dedicated uh, Spurs fan, so he's, he's bringing out a book soon himself. So he's saying, Yo, it, it'll be in the book. So, yeah, fair, fair play. Um, so
0: I got it wrong. Well, well it, it takes a big man to stand up and admit that, Kieran. Well, six foot um, three. I know you are six foot three. Um, Also, now you you mentioned Brentford. You 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 mentioned that Scunthorpe guy saying accountants have no personality. He he clearly didn't listen to last week's pod when one accountant in particular told us a tale about ripping his shirt off in the Brentford director's box and offering out half of West London. If you are a Tottenham fan, by the way, then we have uh, an interview you'll be interested in um, tomorrow, uh, as it's uh, Thursday now in real life. Uh, and Thula Achilles from the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust is going to be talking to us about, essentially, the price of tickets at Tottenham, Kieran. So we'll mention that there are some people who can afford to sit next to Daniel Levy in the tot- uh, box. Um, in the meantime, Kieran, um, have I handed over to you for your customer? Oh, yes, I did. And you made an apology, which I which, which yes. threw me so much that I forgot to, to say uh, you need to do your... Or are you Are you too humble from your apology to do your... Uh, you can, you can even say the pod should be could even be presented.
1: <laughs> there you go. Now I, I know where I am now. Thank you. <laughs> by the person who now appears to be the official opposition of Her Majesty's government and the only person with personality doing this, I give you the wonderful Carol Vorderman, along with David Gedge of the Wedding Present. And <laughs> I'd listen to that for hours and
0: hours and hours. Wow, I haven't, I haven't heard. Oh. The name David Gedge in the wedding present. She's great, Carol. I mean, uh, if you if you met her twenty years ago, a little, a little bit like Gary Lineker, you wouldn't have had them down as uh, feisty left wingers. But she's uh, she's cast off all cares, isn't she? Some of her tweets are just fantastic. Yeah. And Gary's to be fair, and I'm sure you know, I don't know if David Gedge in the wedding present tweets, Kieran? Does he? He does. Well, there you are. So, uh, and, and actually, you've come up with one that producer guy could actually could actually do. Start both of them are still alive, which is a which, yes. is, which is a help. So, one day I think we should, for our listeners, as an end of year treat, take get producer guy to see if he can get one of your wish lists done yes. and just get the first five minutes of the pod hosted by Carol Vorderman and David Gedge with the wedding present. Just we'll just say some just riff it, just just improvise, see how far you get through, <laughs> and, give, <laughs> and give us a shout when you come up against words like amortization. Right, bye, everybody. That, that would imply there's any planning. To what we cover, that well, as anybody who's still listening to the end of this podcast, they would appreciate that's very far from the actual case. Bye, everyone. Yes. Bye. <laughs> I son, for football